0: This morning, let's just take a walk down memory lane. The work says that impressions fall on roles and centers that are set to turning by associations. The more roles that are turning, the more rich the memory will be. So if you have a memory, you can look at it like a CD. There's a CD in the intellect that has its own intellectual memory. There's a CD in the emotional center, which has its own emotional memory. Moving center, same thing. Instinctive center, same thing. During the early 70s, the Japanese scientists were working on a memory-enhancing nasal spray that would help people to remember. And the reason, as you, as you know, uh, is because smell can almost turn the past into the present. It is strongly linked to memory. A human being has about 9,000 olfactory receptors. To give you an idea of what that means, a dog has about... 225,000. The olfactory region of a dog's brain is 40 times larger than that of our brain. So let's think of the brain as a computer and let's think of the receptors as a big sheet that things can fall on. So here we have 9,000 receptors and that'll be a sheet this big, however this big, eight and a half by 11, we'll, we'll say, just just make something up as an example. And now what is 225,000 compared to 9,000, you know, look at how big that sheet of paper, let's say a sheet of paper would be for a dog. All right. So that sheet of paper, the the eight and a half by 11, takes everything that it collects and it sends it to a portion of our brain that processes it. The portion of a dog's brain that processes, it's 225,000 receptors compared to our 9,000 is 40 times bigger than the computer that processes ours. It's not just a matter of size, it's a matter of it can process 40 times more than our brain, than the part of our brain that processes. We see in layers, if I take something and put it on this table, you can see what I have put on the table, you can see the table, you can see the lampshade above the table, You can see the carpeting that the table is sitting on. You can see in layers, but you don't smell that way. Today used to be chili Sunday. And if you'd walk into my house today, you would smell chili cooking, but a dog would not smell chili cooking. A dog would smell in layers. A dog would smell the tomatoes. A dog would smell the onion. A dog would smell the red pepper. A dog would smell in layers the same way that you see in layers. So a dog, because of its 225,000, about 225,000 olfactory receptors, and it's 40% larger computer that can handle what it's collecting, it can smell in layers. It can pick smells out. And it can pick smells out in time. It can tell how long ago a smell was laid down. So a dog can smell in time. You can see in time, but not very far. A dog can smell further in time than you can see because a dog can smell backwards into the past. All you can do is remember the past. A dog can process more information on the timeline by smelling than you can process through your most powerful sense organ, which is sight. That's the one we use the most. So smell carries history, past. So this is why the Japanese scientists were working on a nasal spray. The fine matters of smell touch the fourth dimension of time. You see, it's a matter of fine particles. Smell is really particles. The 225,000 olfactory receptors of a dog are collecting fine particles that can't be seen, but that can be collected if you have the right receptors. Just like you have more cones than rods in your eyes, so you can see colors. A dog has more rods than cones. It doesn't see colors, but it's night vision is like technicolor to it. It can see things that you can't see. Okay, let me me just uh, give you another example. The highest frequency that we can hear, that a human being can hear, is if you take this like this piano here. The piano has 88 keys. The highest key is what? Two octaves above high C. Now, if you add 16 keys to the high end of the piano. That's the highest that a human being can hear. After 16 keys, you could tap on them all day and a human being could not hear it. Now that's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we think we're so wonderful. It's just hard for us to believe that there's anything that could limit us. If we can't hear it, it's not a sound. If we can't see it, it's not there. This is how ego-centered we are. If you were a dog, in order to stop hearing When the key was tapped, you would have to add 49 keys above the highest key on a piano. That means a dog can hear 48 keys when we could hear 16 higher than is on the piano. A dog could hear 48. That's a difference of 32. A dog can hear 32 keys higher than we can. That's why those dog whistles work. If if our hearing is excellent, absolutely excellent, we can hear about 20,000 hertz. Those dog whistles are about 40,000 Hertz. And that is not the highest range that a dog can hear. That's double what we can, but not as high as they can go. So dogs hear and smell what we can't hear and we can't smell. At night, they see what we can't see. But during the day, we see what they can't see. We see in a way that they can't see. It doesn't seem like that much of a fair trade-off, does it? (laughs) We neither see time nor ourselves in time. We don't see our time bodies nor those of others. We think the past is dead much the same as the sound that's produced by the extra piano keys is dead. If we can't hear it, then it doesn't exist. This whole egoic structural thing where we experience the world only through our sense of self, only through our sense of ego. And because it is so small, it is so limited, our sense of self, our sense of ego is really very small if you'll think about it. It's not even as far as the keys on the piano. It's not; It doesn't have that much of a range, let alone adding 16 keys or let alone adding 48 keys to it. If you'll think of it in another way, on the timeline, look at the piano as a timeline where the bass is the past, middle C is, the, is now, and then everything above middle C is the future. And you'll look at it that way. We live on one key, and every once in a while we can randomly, like a player piano, another key to the left of middle C will play, or maybe two of them, or three of them at a time will play. Three of them at a time will play, and it will be like a chord to us. And that's us remembering something as if it was just happening right now. So you walk into a room, you smell a smell, and all of a sudden it puts you, it almost puts you in the past. For example, there's certain s- flowers that I'll smell, and it reminds me of a funeral home I used to walk by on the way home from school when I was a child, in grade school. Walk home, and if I walked home on the right side of the street, instead of the left side of the street, there was a funeral home. I lived on the left side of the street, incidentally. But if I walked home on the right side, there was a funeral home on that side, several blocks from my house. But as I walked by there, if they had a funeral going on or they were setting up for one, the f- smell that came out of there of the flowers, and because when I was a little kid, it was like ooh, it was freaky, dead people, ooh, you know, it just freaked me out the funeral home. So it was a very, you know, so you can you can see just but but there was there's the emotional there's an emotional cd turning so the memory is emotional and then there's the smell of that but it triggers this emotional cd and now the moving center gets involved you can see me actually my skin is starting to crawl a little bit it's like ooh you know and i can remember walking by it, and i remember picking up my pace you know kind of picking up my pace and going faster There's also a certain smell um, that will remind me of that same thing, and it's the smell of a a new Bible that's got a lot of pictures in it. If I smell that, it will also put me in that funeral home recollection. So I guess what I'm saying is we experience time through these various memories that we have. Instinctive memory would be the the experience of, of food or comfort. You know, oh, the bed was very comfortable in that hotel. I remember that. The moving center would be running or climbing or walking or or whatever, some kind of moving activity that was associated and that laid down a memory, and then something will excite that memory. And then there's the uh, emotional, which could be like a sunrise or a sunset or uh, the emotional experience of being scared. And then there's the intellectual, which could be, say, if I, I went someplace, I could remember the bookstores that I went to there or... Uh, the thoughts that I had in this certain place. That would be an intellectual, uh, a a memory that was stored in the intellectual center. So we've got these four different areas, these four different CD players in our brain. Let's put it that way. We've got four different CD players in our brain, and each one is hooked up to a different sense. It takes its information in different ways. So the intellectual center, it only records intellectual stuff and the emotional only records the emotional stuff and the moving only records the moving stuff and the instinctive only records the instinctive stuff so we've got these four but we're experiencing now we experience the memory by whichever one of those four cds is playing and the other three are not playing then we don't have a full experience but the more of the cds that are playing the richer the fuller the experience of the memory these memories that are stored on the rolls are stored basically the work says in our brain and they say that the brain is a machine so if one machine can be hooked up to another machine then it can share the CDs or the roles that have the memory stored on them so you wouldn't have to go to for example Israel to experience uh, walking along the Sea of Galilee you could have if you could hook your brain up to my brain you could play that and you could find out how to play the roles, because we can't play the roles at will. If you'll think about it, we can't just make them play whenever we want them to play. Sometimes they play because we don't know why, because it's like a player piano. Some outside thing triggers it, and then it starts to play. Some outside thing triggers two or three of the roles together, and it's a very powerful memory. Four of them together, and we're there for all intents and purposes. Now, the thing about these memories is, if we could share the roles, we could have the same memories, but that still wouldn't be what happened. That would only be what you recorded that happened. Is there a place where what actually happened is recorded? Yes, it's called time. There's a place in time where everything that has ever happened is recorded. Where is that? Well, it's wherever it really happened okay but that's only one line so everything that ever happened is recorded in my brain let's say in this machine of my brain on these rolls but you were in the same room and, and you were looking at it from a different perspective and you saw what happened but you recorded it in a totally different way you recorded it according to your center of gravity you recorded it according to so if your center of gravity is in the moving center then you recorded the major part of it in the moving on a cd in the moving center but if my center of gravity is in the emotional center, then I recorded it. The major part of it is recorded in the emotional center. So different people recording to have a fuller experience. Yes, we could have a fuller experience by sharing one another's memories. We could do that if we could just hook the brains up and share the roles. But there's an easier way than that and a better way than that, because what really happened, what actually happened is still happening right now. It's still going right now. It's just that we have moved beyond that point and we are no longer in touch with what is happening there. And that is the timeline. The brain is like a computer. Memories are the solid state storage with a huge capacity. The brain has a limited capacity. Time doesn't have a limited capacity. It's all there. So let's see if I can somehow make this understandable. You've got millions of synapses in your brain and neurons that connect the different parts of your brain. There are pathways, the pathways are synapse. Electric and chemical impulses that go along pathways in the brain and that excite certain parts of the brain, stimulate certain parts of the brain. Habits are like that. The olfactory receptors that we talked about are like that. They go, they lead to a certain part of the brain and it stimulates a certain part of the brain. It can trigger the C D going round and round and memories starting. So we have these these synapses are really the roots that memory has. So we have the brain which is the computer, the memories which is this solid state storage with this high capacity, and the millions of synapses that connect the different parts. We also have different connections like different routes to school, to work, or to home. Jess, you may drop one of your kids off at school by taking a certain route. But your wife may take an entirely different route. And that's her habit and that's what she does because she likes that path and so she does that. But you have a different one. Then when your kid starts to drive, your kid may have a totally different way to school that may be part yours and part hers. So you start to see that these different synapses, these different routes through the brain, they can be rerouted. They can go in different ways. It doesn't always have to go the same way. But we tend to walk the same path over and over and over again habitually. We've all got these different connections. That's what makes us different. The synapse in our brains actually have a memory. Now think about ants. An ant will go out and it'll find food. And then it'll go back to the nest and it'll tell everybody else I found food. And they'll all go the exact same route that that ant went and find the food and then travel the exact same route back. And now what we found is that the, the ants laid down a chemical trail, a chemical memory that can be read by the other ants. They go and they pick up that chemical trail and they follow it to the food and then they follow it from the food back to their nest in time, over time, because the chemical trail exists in time. It exists in the past, it exists in the present, and it exists in the future. And the ant can travel it back and forth. Remove the chemical trail and the ant will lay down another one. What I'm talking about is something like that. The synapse or these chemical trails in our brains, have a memory. And that is something that we can also access. Let's get back to the things that we acquire by imitation. So there are so many things that we have, that we've acquired by imitation. We don't even know. They are now habits for us. So we're no longer, we were not really aware of them. Very few of us, well, okay, I guess maybe you'll all remember a time when you actually tried to imitate someone. I remember time when, when I was in I think it was third grade, and Elvis Presley was on the Ed Sullivan show. <clears throat> yes, Elvis Presley was still alive, and um, I was in the third grade, and I remember distinctly watching Ed Sullivan on, with, uh, watching Ed Sullivan on television, watching Elvis Presley and the whole thing, and he had these sideburns, you know, and he was just like so incredible. And I cut my hair and glued it to the sides to the sides of my face so I'd have sideburns like Elvis Presley and of course I couldn't keep it there but I had these sideburns and oh I was so cool I was like Elvis cool man with sideburns I a little kid you know but I still knew that I had to be cool I remember that after the sideburns finally fell off which didn't take long because the glue didn't really last that long. And, and I guess I had to take them off anyway, because if your parents ever see you, then they, they look at you the same way you looked at me when I told you, you know, it's like, what an idiot. That's just what I did then. And that's the way that is. And I don't have any real attachment to that. That's just what happened. And, and when you reach a state of consciousness where you can access all that, you'll be able to see it anyway. So there's no reason for me to be embarrassed, because when you reach that, you'll be able to see all of your idiotic things that you did, and you'll have empathy. And so you won't make those faces and do those things and and ridicule the way we normally would now by looking at that and going, oh, what an idiot. So so when you reach these higher states, it's like there are no idiots. There are no idiots. They're just people doing what they do. It's just what it is. There's no judgment about it because it's just what it is. It's just like, well, yes, there's nothing else that could be done then because that's what happens on that line of time. If you follow that chemical trail, That's what has to happen. He has to cut his hair there, and he has to glue it to the side of his face to look like Elvis Presley and have sideburns. But another line of time, remember I said time has layers. Another line of time, say a little higher, he realizes that that's silly, that he can't really be like Elvis Presley, even if he does have sideburns. So he doesn't cut his hair, and he doesn't glue it to the sides of his face. So that doesn't happen there. So you see, all of a sudden you realize that the same person on different lines of time does different things. So, which one are you going to pick on? The higher you go, the higher you'll see and the higher you'll pick. Do you see that? So you can tell where someone is traveling by what kind of thoughts they choose to have about another human being. So the level at which you travel time, the line that you choose to travel in time, determines how you see time, how you see people, how you experience everything. The higher level you choose, the higher level everyone is at. It's not a matter of overlooking people's errors or mistakes. Or they're bad things. It's a matter of traveling a line of time where it's not that way. Getting to a state of consciousness where it's not that way. Is there a line where Jesus says to the woman taken at adultery, You slut stoner? Yes, there's a line of time like that. It's not the Jesus you know, though, is it? Some other Jesus, isn't it? Who didn't make it on that level, on that line of time. You're beginning to get a feel for this now don't get too hung up on the words and too hung up on the stories because none of them are real these are just stories just examples I don't want Christians to get all weird and Jesus called the woman taken in adultery a slut and stoned her yeah he threw the first stone just like you have plenty of times but you don't on every timeline there's a timeline where you don't do that there's a timeline where you forgive there's a timeline where you understand there's a timeline where you have empathy there's a timeline when you are much bigger than you are on this timeline. That's the timeline that the fourth way is designed to move you in the direction of that. It's to move you in an upward vertical motion so that you can reach a higher timeline where things that are happening there are not the things that are happening on this lower timeline. It can be done. Time for us is the fulfillment of one line of possibilities. It's just one line of possibilities. So there are some things that are not possible on this line of time. But they are possible on another line of time. If you can get to that other line of time. And you can get to that other line of time because it is, it does exist. It's happening right now. Because all the timelines are happening right now. And you can get to that. But the only way to get to it is by movement and consciousness. Not by getting more receptors in your olfactory. more Getting more olfactory receptors. Not by getting more cones and or more rods and fewer cones. Not by having a better sense of hearing, but through consciousness. By expanding your consciousness, by expanding the range of your consciousness and the level of your consciousness, you can access higher lines of time. You know, I worry sometimes that this is too confusing. And that's why I say, don't pay too much attention to the words, try and get in the river. Try not to stand on the bank of the river throwing your net in and pulling out a fish here or there or throwing your line and hoping something will bite or hoping you'll hook into something but just try and get into the river with me and go along with the flow and see if you can't feel the temperature of the water see if you can't feel how wet it is See if you can't feel how smooth it is see if you can't feel it flowing over you see if you can't feel it lifting you up the buoyancy of your own body in the river see if you can't get into that rather than standing on the bank trying to hook something as it goes by as I say words that go by eternity is the fulfillment of all the possibilities of this timeline so in eternity everything is happening all the time eternity is the fulfillment of the possibility of each layer of time one layer after another like a layer cake on each layer of time different possibilities are there for each layer like a three-story house, you're in the basement, there's not very many possibilities down there. But if you're up in the top story, there are lots of possibilities there. And in each layer, there are different possibilities. But there's a place that you can get to in eternity where all of them are accessible and possible because they exist, because they are there. You don't make them. They are already there. You just become aware of them, just like the sounds that you can't hear. They're there. You just aren't aware of them. It's like the smells that you can't smell. They're there, but you don't have the capacity at this point. You don't have the olfactory receptors to receive them. But consciousness is different. You can expand your consciousness, raise your level of being to have more receptors, to be aware of more of what is actually there. You have to remember that this ego has limited us to what we can experience. And it's limited us, if you look at where does your ego reside, where is it? It's in this body, isn't it? Well, this body really, when you look at it, doesn't take up a lot of space. Even the largest body here doesn't take up that much space. So our egos are really very small, aren't they? Now, our mental egos may be a little bit bigger. We can imagine some things outside of our bodies, but it's not that much bigger, not compared to infinity, not compared to the universe. What I'm saying is that your consciousness can go so far beyond your ego that your ego becomes a speck of dust in the universe. That is why I'm trying to draw these similes between the dog, the way a dog smells, the way a human smells, the way a dog hears, the way a human hears, to see that this ego, this personality, this false personality that we're locked in, that we're identified with, is limiting us and keeping us from our possibilities. And this is why we wish to make it passive, so that we can get beyond it, because right now it's hooking us and holding us and anchoring us to this timeline this reality with so few possibilities. To understand what is above us we must get out of time into eternity. We must reach a level that is above us, but time and space prevent us. We are so locked into time and space they prevent us from entering into what is above us, which is eternity. And what is eternity? Eternity is simply the place where everything is complete. Here is the place where it's not complete. We still have a future eternity there is no future there is no past it's all the same it's all one it's all constantly going on we must be reborn out of time and space an awakened mind can understand and reach higher dimensions where there's no time and everything is not was when the past is not was it can be changed i'll say that again because i'm not sure you caught it when the past is not was it can be changed when the past is and it's not was, then it can be changed. You can see that you can change the past if it is. You can see that you can't change the past if it was. So when the past isn't was, but it is, then you can change it. But you said yes. I said a lot of things. Try not to anchor yourself to them. As I said, they're words. They won't communicate this. Only experience will communicate this. I'm trying to help you to catch an updraft so that hopefully you'll be able to rise a little bit on the hot air coming out of me <laughs> and get to a higher place where this can be experienced a little bit better and it can be understood in a different way rather than the way that we usually understand things. Whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. It's up, it's up to whatever it's up to. I don't know what it's up to. We begin to thinking in a new way by seeing that passing time is an illusion. This happens slowly for most people. We slowly begin to see that passing time isn't real, that it's an illusion. As we begin to understand the mechanics of how this works, how the, how the memory works. and Memory is what keeps us in time. We keep on saying that was, that was, that was. It keeps on solidifying this idea, this wrong idea that we have of time. You know you can have wrong ideas. You know you can believe things that aren't true. You get a, a letter and it says, oh, well, so-and-so died. And you go through all of the things that you would go through if so-and-so had actually died. Then you get another letter that says, oops, sorry, we were mistaken. So-and-so didn't die. We had the name wrong. And then you go through all of those feelings, whatever those feelings are. Well, those dummies, how could they do that? Now I want revenge or whatever. Or, oh, thank God, so-and-so is not dead. Then you get another letter that says so-and-so. And what was it like when, when people were sending letters by ships, by a sailing ship that went from England to Philadelphia? And it took three months. And the news was three months old by the time it got there. Well, it had already happened, but three months later, then somebody starts to be sad about it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Does? Well, that's three months ago. You should be over it by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you understand this is this is the whole thing about time. You see how time is different now than it was then. Three months was what it took to get a letter from here to there. That's not the way it is anymore. We can do it overnight. We can do it in a matter of hours now. We can do it instantaneously on the Internet. We can do it faster. But there's still time involved. But we, our, our idea of time has changed. You see that our idea of time has changed. That's the purpose of this, so that our idea of time can change. And as our idea of time changes, we begin to understand things in a different way. We begin to think in a new way by saying that passing time is an illusion. Well, how much of an illusion? Well, 200 years ago, it was a three-month illusion. And then when the Internet and email and all that stuff came out, now I can chat with somebody in England real time with a telephone or with the Internet, and just type back and forth and it's instantaneously there. They see it right there. It's there. I say it and the the words are there in their ear right there. So time is an illusion and as we begin to see passing time as an illusion our minds change and as our minds change new possibilities are open to us. We, We find new meaning in things, different meanings in things. Only when these memories begin to turn do they give us a sensation of the past. If the memory isn't happening you don't have any sensation of the past. Without memories you have no sensation of the past if it's happening now it's not the past when the past is and not was it can be changed because is you can act in was you can't act in because it's stored in a solid state area of the brain memory is not new meaning memory is not new inspiration it's yesterday's manna when we rely on it we're stuck in time and space how do we judge time we judge time by the present and the past. And that extrapolates into the future. Our memories support the illusion of time. The brain is strung on the time like a ring sliding along a string. Imagine taking off your ring and putting it on a string. If someone holds the string here, we'll call that past. And someone st- holds the string there, we'll call that future. And the brain is like the ring that you have put on there. And as you move it, you move it from the past to the future along the string. While you're doing that, imagine that the string is wet. And now imagine that the ring is wooden, and it's picking up smears of the wet as it moves along, and it's storing that in the ring. The wood is absorbing some of the moisture on the ring, on the string. And as it absorbs, absorbs it, it stores it, and we'll call that memory. It <laughs> looks like your faces are precious. I, I hope you're getting this. The brain is really a machine passing through time. The string that we've strung is only one possible string. There are a lot more. If we can get our brain off of this string and onto some other string, it can all be different. How do we do that? (sighs) That's a good question, isn't it? This is what memory is. Memory is the smears that the brain collects while it's passing along the string. It's just the traces that are left. It's not picking up everything that's on the string. In fact, it's picking up so little that it's laughable. Would you agree? That's what our memories are like. They're laughable. We either misremember or forget almost everything. And this is what we argue over. This is what we start wars over. This is what we kill one another over. Insanity is what drives us as a race. What are we doing in Iraq now? Whose memory is that? Who wants to be doing that and why? What is it that they remember? Is it worth remembering? Was it ever true? Did it ever really happen that way? We misremember most everything. What we don't misremember, we forget. Put two rings, two rings on that same line at the same time, tie them together if you like, run them along that string. They will each pick up different smears off that string. Each will be real, each will be a memory, but it will be incomplete. And until you can see the whole thing, you will have opposition. You will say, no, that's not the way it happened. When both rings are true, it happened both those ways. But until you can see that, you will have opposition. You will not be able to have unity. You get it or you don't get it, it will be back. Don't worry about it. By getting to another level, to another line, we alter our past. If we alter our past, we alter everything, opening possibilities for now. Mercifully we approach eternity where lies real memory very slowly. Real memory is something we don't have. It exists, but when I say mercifully, I mean if you could remember everything, you'd go insane. The contradictions of your life would make you crazy. I don't have to belabor that point. If you come away with nothing else this morning, doubt your memories. This will help to free you from the ring on the string. Doubt your memories. Don't fight over them. Don't argue over them. He said, she said. When you start to understand what I'm talking about, there won't be any he said, she said. Well, you said, there won't be any of that. You can't do that. It just doesn't matter. You'll be able to feel yourself and thereby everything else in a new way. If you can feel yourself in a new way, if you start to doubt your memory, you'll be able to feel yourself in a new way. You see, you'll be free from your memories you will be free to be who you are now, not who you were then, or who you thought you were then, or who you think you were then. We've forgotten almost all of it, and what we do remember, we've usually misremembered. A conscious man with real memory has no negative emotions against others. The more conscious you are, the fewer negative emotions you have against others. You can tell how conscious a person is by how negative they are. Actually, I should rephrase that too. You can tell how unconscious a person is by how negative they are. You can be so negative and so unconscious to it that you don't even know you're negative. That's why this work comes in handy. It helps to show you where you're negative. There are people who go through life emanating the most unpleasant manifestations that other human beings, and they can't understand what other people, what's wrong with other people, why they don't like them, because they are totally unaware of themselves. They're totally unaware of how negative they are. They're totally unconscious to it, or nearly totally. Such as we are, we must approach it from this side, not conscious men. We have to approach it from this side, from this underside. And we have to work our way through this. We have to notice and separate from our negative emotions. This prepares the lower centers that we're living in now to receive influences from higher centers which are always working in higher dimensions. You remember a couple of weeks ago I said, we function in three dimensions, but the work says there are six, and that the three dimensions above us we rarely even touch. We may have flashes of them but we rarely touch them. The fourth dimension is time, and you can see we don't function in time. We just stay on this little fragment of time, the middle C of the keyboard on the piano. The past is everything left of it. The future is everything right of it. And we are aware of some of the things in the past if the player role makes the bass keys sound, then we're aware, but we have no real control over them. This is about getting control over them. We work from this side, from the side we're on now such as we are. We find ourselves here, so we work from here. Rather than say, oh, if only I was a conscious man, then I could do this and then I could do that. Yes, that's true. But so what? You're not, and so you work from where you are. There are higher dimensions. There are influences that are coming from those higher dimensions. Unfortunately, there are more than 16 keys added to the piano, and we're not hearing them. But we can learn to by expanding our consciousness. That's our goal. That's what we're doing here. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.